This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, the conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. In the category of what might surprise you, I am a baker's daughter and grew up in my father's bakeries. My father, understanding my real natural talents, never taught me to bake. But rather, he had me do the bookkeeping when I was 11 and he opened his first store. So my pleasure is reading Dory Greenspan's cookbooks for their exquisite writing, beautiful photography. Plus, they bring me back to the seductive aromas of the bakery and the pure pleasure my father had in experimenting, and then having us marvel at an even more delicious version of a Danish or a tart or a brown derby cake. But Dory's new book, Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple, is now making me think I can bake. So this is 30 years that Dory's been a cookbook author. This is her 14th book. And there's a reason she's won five James Beard Foundation Awards and has won Cookbook of the Year Awards and writes regularly for the New York Times. It's because her recipes work. It's because they're beyond delicious. Her instructions are clear. And her writing is fantastic. I own all her books. And as I said, this one just might get me baking. And for her gazillions of fans, there is plenty new and refined and fabulous. It is my total pleasure to welcome Dory Greenspan to Just the Right Book. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Roxanne, if I thought that I could be responsible for baking... We're going to have to work on this. We'll see. We'll see. So one of the things that um, you know, we, we, or I often hear, and I, I'm curious if it's an old wives tale is that baking is less forgiving than cooking. Yet when I read your cookbook, there's sort of a playful quality that you have to baking. So is it an old wives tale or is it true? I, it's true ish. Um, in that, you know, you have, you have a lot of, you have a lot of room for playing around in both cooking and surprisingly in baking. Um, and I think that I was funny, I was talking to, to an, um, Rex Martin, who was my editor for many years, and we were talking about recipes and how we always think of baking recipes, as you said, as being very precise. And I think they really need to be and somewhat unforgiving. And yet, when I when I hear from bakers and I hear what they've done and the mishaps that they've had and yet they've ended up with something delicious, I think there's all around the edges, mm. all there's like wiggle room and there is forgiveness. And I also, you know, along with you know, is it unforgiving? People say baking is harder than cooking, and I think baking is easier because if you have a good recipe baking recipe, you follow it. Mm. With a cooking recipe, it's like, 
it's like one judgment call after another. My favorite thought is that whole thing about a steak should feel like your palm. I mean, really? With baking, you follow the recipe, you make something delicious, and then you can play around. You can change the flavors, you can change the shape, you can change the size, you can put a different icing on it. I think I think baking is play aroundable and playful. So Dory, that makes me think of, of something different. I, so I don't generally bake or cook, but like many people during the pandemic, I did a little bit of both. And I was surprised at how meditative I found the process of doing it. Like I, I made a banana bread. I shouldn't even say I made a banana bread. Of course bread, you should. Of course but, you should. Yay but, for you. But the question I have for you is, is, is the pleasure or what goes on in your brain different when you're cooking versus baking? So I think so. I think I hadn't thought about it as cooking versus baking, but but now that you say that, I think it could be different because for the most part, baking is a slower process. Mm. And what I tell people who say, I don't know if I can bake, I want to start, what do I need to be a baker? I usually say patience. And mm. I usually say, find pleasure in the process find pleasure in measuring out the ingredients. I mean, I think the ingredients are beautiful when they're measured out. I just think the raw ingredients are beautiful. Um, the way ingredients are transformed as you're, as you're working. Um, I do find it meditative. And I think, I think it, it, there's, it's possible that baking can be a more meditative activity than cooking. I mean, certainly think about stir frying where you're like, everything's moving at once and mm -hmm. you're wondering, um, or, you know, yes. Yeah. Because you know, Dory, what I, what, what just occurred to me as I'm listening to you, which sounds maybe new agey, um, is that you have to be very present to bake. Yes. And yeah. and that is meditative to be that, you know, when you think about when you go to these like spas or something and they have you take a raisin and savor it in your mouth for like too many minutes <laughs> as a way of being present. So may, that that's a very interesting element of baking. You know, I, 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 Roxanne, I truly, for all the years that I've been baking and all the joy that I still find in baking, I hadn't thought about it quite like that. I mean, I do think it is meditative. I do know that once I start, I feel I feel like I'm breathing mm -hmm. differently because, and you you but and you do have to concentrate. So I think when I say that you need patience and you need to, you know, find a way to find the process pleasurable, that yeah, maybe. I mean, it is a slower. You do need to be present. You should be present while you're cooking too. But you, <laughs> just, just saying. There's a just thing with saying. the fire in the oven and all of that. <laughs> just, just saying. Um, but yeah. So Dory, yeah. Uh, I I love this story. And if for those who might have heard it before, I don't really care because I think it's so <laughs> fun. So you're 
you know, a renowned um, cookbook authority. And one might think that you have been brilliantly and professionally trained at some fancy school. But share with us just how ridiculously you started in this profession. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, 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 so I, I assume we're talking about the fire in my parents' kitchen. Correct. When I was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was when I was making my, you know, my, my mother didn't cook, so I didn't have models. And I was making frozen French fries, which were the only French fries we had ever. And they were in a box in the freezer. But I had seen short order cooks, you know, make French fries. So I put up oil. I figured you needed that. And big pot of oil, I put a lid on it. When I pulled the lid off, fire. Um, so I was 12. And I wasn't, I had never been in the kitchen before and I wasn't allowed back in after, but I got married when I was 19. And I was a student, Michael had his first job. We were on a very tight budget, um, but I wanted to learn to cook. I wanted, I had this vision of our apartment being the place where everyone would come. And I wanted to feed people. I wanted them to stay and talk. And I wanted it. I, I knew that I wanted food to be part of our life. And so I taught myself to cook from cookbooks. And you never, you never were professionally trained. No, but I was lucky. I wasn't trained. I didn't go to school. I didn't take classes. Um, but I did have the chance to work with some pretty fabulous people great chefs who were well why they let you work for them if you hadn't oh, I didn't exactly okay okay I made it sound like I worked for them no they would never have allowed me to work for them <laughs> um, I did yeah so I did I did work at I worked at a restaurant for one month and that's when I was fired for changing their recipe mm. Um, yeah, I was fired for, I, I, I wrote briefly about this, that I was fired for creative insubordination. And I mentioned That's that. That's a great thing to be fired for. Well, only now I, re, I mean, it, it, yeah. years later, I was mortified then. Recently, somebody said to me that if I ever were to write a memoir, that would be a great title. Yes. Creative insubordination, or it would be a good self-help book too, probably. But yeah. anyway. I was fired for that. And then I worked in another bakery and I got, I quit because I knew they would fire me if I didn't quit. Um, I was terrible in a bakery. But when I started writing about food, I had the chance to work alongside chefs in mm. order to be able to learn their recipes and write them for, I worked for Elle magazine for years. And they used to, when Elle launched in America, they had gorgeous food pages. And so I got to work with amazing chefs who were really open and generous and, and helped me and taught me. And so th that was cooking school for me. All right. So cooking school for me. Here's, here's, here's one of the things in the cookbook that I really want you to help me understand that I could figure out how to make it and anybody else who's starting out in baking. So I want to make brioche. Now you okay. have the most beautiful picture of a brioche in this book. Somebody just made it and posted their loaf on Instagram 
and I sent it to three people because it was so beautiful. Well, do you have it? Okay, so of course we know that anything that was ever made was originally made by hand. And when I, 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 I did take- I don't have a mixer. Okay, I gave okay. it away. I had a big KitchenAid mixer. And when I moved from our house of 30 years, I thought, I haven't used this maybe in 30 years. And I, I don't know who I gave it to. But I could invest in another one if I thought I could make brioche. Or you could come make brioche with me and decide if you okay. want to make All right, good. Perfect. But the, so once again, I mean, brioche is, brioche is magical. It's a yeast dough. It's, it's, now, do I have it. to grow yeast or can you buy it? <laughs> I'm sorry, I was looking in my book and you said that and it just stopped me. Um, you can grow your own yeast if you'd like. Okay, but, but I don't uh, have to. But you don't have to. Okay, good. So this, this, is, <laughs> this is the picture. Of like the, how gorgeous the, is that? It is, and it's so delicious. So it's, it's, it's an enriched, it's called an enriched loaf because it has milk and it has butter and it has eggs. So it's rich. It's almost, it's not sweet, but it's almost sweet. Um, I use this dough to make sticky buns, which are you know really sweet, but I also use it to make babka. You have to beat, beat, beat. But I find it fascinating because when you put the butter in, there's a lot of butter in brioche. Um, That's why I like it. Right, the dough kind of separates and you think, oh no, what's happened? Then you put more butter in and you keep beating and it comes together and you watch. It's you. It's, it's like, you know, the I don't know how many stages, but you know, the five stages of brioche, you watch this dough change. And it is just, the dough itself is beautiful. It's got a satin, look to it and when you stretch it it just pulls and it's really satisfying to me so if i read this recipe how would it where would i screw up where's the danger of my screwing up you might not i i feel like paul hollywood when when on the the great british baking show when they get their technical challenge and um they'll say and what's your advice and he'll say well, your timing or your, you could, you could not beat it enough. Okay. This dough that takes, really takes a beating and also has several rises. So it's a project. It's a project. But when you make it, it just, it feels so good to have made something this beautiful and this delicious. All right. Now, what recipe would you pick out in the book as the simplest? So... I was, okay, I'll give you a recipe. I never answer this question. Okay. I always, right, people say, where should I start? And I always say, well, choose something that you would like to make. The hell with that answer. Let's come up with something really right. okay. simple. Uh, that's right. So I'm <laughs> going to give you, I knew it. I knew it. Hold one second. So I, I'm working with a, a copy of the book that I dropped from a very high place and the binding came uh, broke. Off. Yeah, and I but now I feel attached to it. It's like so why not? Right? I feel but so the everything cake. Oh right? good. I was gonna ask you about that. This is where you that's start. on page one twenty nine. It's on page one twenty nine, and here's a picture of the everything cake. 
For people so, on the podcast, it's beautiful. I know they can't see, so I'm going to describe it for them. So the everything cake is, um, it's really simple. It has, wait, I can't, I, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It has eight ingredients, and I think it has nine variations. But it's, you don't need a mixer to make this. You just wix, it's a bowl, and you just stir the ingredients. It's a very plain, but but comforting cake that can be just played around with. So in the book, in the um, the picture has pieces of tangerine, um, but you could put apples, you could put some booze in there, you could put some dried fruit, you could even you could put berries. You can take tea and mash it between your fingers and add it to the. Roxanne, if you make this cake, this cake could keep you going for months. You could keep changing it all Fabulous. year. This could be your signature. Yeah, I'm looking for one. <laughs> this, is your, this is your house specialty. Okay, I'm on it. So, Dory, in your introduction, uh, speaking about uh, the book, you um, talk about a... Um, let me see, I, I think I wrote it all down, that you've got an editor, an agent, a recipe taster, a, a tester, a copy editor, a publicist, a photographer, a stylist. So when you come up with a new cookbook, so one question is how do you come up with a new cookbook, but do you meet with the whole team at the outset and say, here's what I'm thinking? Do you yeah. start putting it together? How do, how do you, how does this army of people end up producing this cookbook and boy it takes an army you know everybody the expression is it takes a village i think it takes you know like an, a major metropolis um, <laughs> there are so many people who have important roles in in a cookbook but for me it starts here in this kitchen alone and it's you know, it, it's an idea and then I talked to my agent, um, and we've been together for 20 years, David Black, and we talk about what this idea could be. And he always says to me, um, you're really excited now. Will you be excited three years from now mm. after having worked on it for three years? And it is, you know, the, the idea has to be sustainable for, you know, I, I work very slowly. So it's got to be an idea that will hold my interest for years. Um, so I work, you know, then there's an editor who buys the project um, who may or may not be in touch with me until three years later when I turn it in. But so I work primarily alone. I work here in this kitchen. I work in, here's my notebook. I work in pencil and paper. <laughs> I write everything down. When I think I have the recipe just right, I send it to Mary Dodge, who lives in Madison, Connecticut. Um, Mary's been my recipe tester for 10 years and maybe more. And so I send the recipes to Mary and she tests them. And then we go back and forth with what changes need to be done. Then it goes to the editor who edits. Then it goes to the copy editor who copy edits. And it's at that point that the metropolis is, is, it comes assembled. Into, yeah. So then it's photography. The photography is done after the manuscript has been um, 
written, submitted. And so it's the photographer, the food stylist, the prop stylist. Then it's the art director and the book designer. So the photography is extraordinary in this book. Rebecca Marks, who writes for Eater Magazine, did a review of the book, and she called the photography relentlessly gorgeous. Mm. That's that's lovely. And so the the team that did the photography, um, I knew... It was Mark Weinberg who did the photographs and I had met him on a shoot for Yankee magazine and knew I wanted to work with him. Samantha Sinavaratne, who did the um, food styling, and I had two of her books and loved her work, two of her own cookbooks. And then Brooke, whose work I knew from Food 52, but I'd never met her. Um, and Sam had an assistant, Laura, but the photographs were done, Laura Manzano, the photographs were done during COVID, pre-vaccine in the really before times. And so I couldn't be in the studio with the team. They photographed and they had a very lean team. Only, Only Sam had an assistant. Normally there would be more people on, on set. And so they worked in a studio and I worked on Zoom 12 hours a day away from actually, you know, touching and tasting and talking to them about it, but seeing it and talking about. So who made the, who made. Sam, Sam. Sam, Wow. Yeah. Sam Sinavaratne. So she did all the baking and there's so much. So I'm, I'm writing a newsletter um, these days twice a week um twice a week yeah maybe um yeah twice a week um what's the link how did how did somebody find the newsletter dory dory greenspan.bulletin.com dory greenspan.bulletin.com okay um and i've been writing about the people who've worked on the book and I wrote about Mary and I wrote about Mark, the photographer. And I just talked to Sam yesterday because I'm going to be writing about her. And I said, how did you ever organize this? And she said, you know, when people think about food styling, they never think about anything but making the food look beautiful. When in fact, you have to figure out how am I going to make 100 things in 11 days, always have something ready for the camera, always have something either hot if it needs to be. Wow. It's, uh, it's a remarkable talent skill. And it takes it takes more than just being a good baker. It's, it was, it's always fascinating to see something made and to understand how many talented people it takes. We'll be right back with Dory Greenspan, the author of Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. Dory, so you would you had mentioned earlier about that it takes place right there in the kitchen. One of the things I was thinking about as I was preparing. It's always cracked me up that you live in Westbrook, Paris, and New York. Yeah. Now, we've been in a pandemic for a year and a half. Have you been to Paris during that time? So, uh, yes, but only recently. So, Michael and I went to Paris, actually the whole family went, um, in June. 
And it was exactly 500 days between the time that we left our Paris apartment and returned. So this book spanned a, a time when, you know, we were all out and about and the pandemic. And so when I, when I started working on this book, I thought, well, this is going to be the book where I'm going to travel around, I'm going to talk to other home bakers, I'm going to get recipes from everywhere. And I had a few months like that. And I have recipes in the book that come from people I met in Stockholm and Copenhagen and Lisbon. But the rest of the book came from Stop and Shop, Big Y, Bishops, um, all the local markets, because yeah. It was it, uh, the largest sector, you know, the most of the recipes were done here in Westbrook under confinement or in confinement. Because, Dory, when uh, one of my favorite favorites of your cookbooks, uh, one is Sweet Times, which we'll talk about in a minute because it's the first one that I owned and the bookstore was open and and it was the first one you did. But my other favorite is Around My French Table. So when you read that book, which is what I did, I read it, um, I'm, you know, you're, you're uh, transported to Paris, to a lifestyle, to a way of entertaining, which is different than what you would do in Manhattan or different than what you would do in Westbrook. Did that change what you thought of as the recipes to include in this book because you were more based right here so i think i think i've been changing through the years i've what what i like what i like to eat what i like to make what i like to share with friends has just gotten simpler and simpler and simpler mm. so in many ways this book even if I had, you know, if only there hadn't been a pandemic, it it might have been more international, but it wouldn't have in 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 feel. Yeah. So uh, it wouldn't have been different from from what it is. But I think I'm always inspired by my life in Paris and the people mm -hmm. I know there and the way they cook and the and the way they entertain. I mean, I remember reading that book and getting such a visceral sense of the ease with which entertaining and being together occurs that feels different than it might here in the states it feels so i i don't i so i'm in paris obviously less than i am in america and yet i feel like i see my french friends more often than i see my american friends there, somehow the days in Paris seem longer. Mm -hmm. There's more opportunity to get together. I don't know whether that's because you can just meet for a drink in a cafe more easily than you can here. But I never have, I never, you know, get in touch with somebody and say, come for dinner. And they look at their calendar and say, yeah, six weeks from now, I have an opening. Mm -hmm. All of this, yeah. of course, you know, we didn't have this. Without dream. the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like it, it's easier to be together. Certainly the evenings are longer. Um, it's, you know, you, you, 
you have an hour or so before dinner where you have a glass of wine and you have a little nibble. At my house, it's always a gougere um, or many. And then you sit down and you eat and then you have dessert at the table. And then you've got another hour or so that you're just talking. Mm. So you know, the evenings just last longer. There's you know, I think some of it, uh, you know, I'm, what, what it's reminding me of, we spent uh, a good deal of the pandemic. We have a house in Maine and we had a pod with other pandemic people, um, you know, it, it, and in Maine, which is mostly a vacation place, it's it wasn't a vacation place. We were all working. But I think it's a state of mind because we do a lot of entertaining up there. And during the pandemic, we 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 were a pod and it's multi-generational. The bar doesn't feel quite as high. I mean, there's a couple of uh, cooks that are brilliant and we like give them their due, but know when they come to our house that it's not going to be brilliant. So I think some of it's just a state of mind. I think we think of having somebody over for dinner here as a higher bar than it needs to be. I think, I yes, yes, I think you're right. I always say, you know, when, when I think about having friends come for dinner, um, and I love that what the French say is, you know, come home. Mm. So that when, when, when I think about having friends come home, I'm more interested in, I mean, obviously I want to cook something that, they're going to love and I want to yeah you don't want them saying what the hell this is what Dory Greenspan makes for dinner (laughs) what I really what I really want is for them to feel taken care of yeah I want people to feel welcome and wanted and taken care of um but I don't it's not about the food yeah and in many ways it's better if the food isn't you know, firecracker fabulous, because then all you're talking about is the food. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of, Dory? Um, Many years ago, Julia Child and Jacques Pepin uh, came uh, to New Haven for an event for R.J. Julia's, and it was a conversation. And the question uh, that was asked of both of them is, who was their favorite person to cook for? And I don't remember who Julia Child mentioned, but I vividly remember what Jacques said. And Jacques said, which I think is just a beautiful way of thinking about it, that he considered cooking an act of love. And therefore, his favorite people to cook for was family and friends because it was a way of expressing love it's what you know what you're saying of to to make them feel at home and welcome and taken care of and, and care- taken care of yep. you know it's the same notion i mean i want i obviously you know i want to feed my friends and family the best food that i can i also love to experiment on them so it's you know it gives me a chance to play in the kitchen when i have people coming but the most important thing is that sense of people being together, being happy to be together, and having a chance to really talk to one another. Now, did Josh and his wife and your adorable new granddaughter pandemic with you? So 
our, our adorable new granddaughter pandemicked with us um, because, because Linling, our, our adorable daughter-in-law, was pregnant. So Gemma was born. They stayed with us. They, they lived with us for about five months or so. Oh, wow. Left, yeah. So it was a very exciting summer. My manuscript was due last July 31st. So the kids left about July 15th. Turned the manuscript in the 31st, and Gemma was born August 6th. Mm. So they went back because, of course, you don't know when a baby's going to decide to pop out, pop out into the world. Yeah. And so, yeah, they were with us. So in a way, I mean, I was I was feeding our family and um, and feeding the baby. Yeah, which was beautiful. Pretty great. So. At the risk of being accused of not paying enough attention to the cookbook and the recipes, I have a couple of other, I have questions that um, uh, people have submitted for me to ask. And then I, I, I have this question before I ask their questions. This is recipe related. Is it a sin to buy pie crust? Does it make a big difference? Okay, so it's. I was thinking about this yesterday because because I was. It's not a sin. I would rather that somebody buy a pie if it's if if buying a pie crust makes the difference between having pie and not having pie. Buy a pie crust. Okay. Right. But but is there a but? But I've never found, and if anybody knows of a store bought pie crust that's delicious, just you know, let me know. Um, they don't bake, they, they bake up more like a, they hold more the brittle, more brittle, right? They don't have much flavor. And I really yeah. believe that the pie crust that a tart shell is more than just the thing that holds the filling. It's its own component. It should have great texture. It should have flavor. So um, it's not a sin, but boy, it's nice if you make your own. But you know what it made me think of? One of your recipes that I want to try is called Apple Pan Dowdy. That you could make if you've never made a pie. Because there's no crust at the bottom. There's no crust at the bottom. So Which I liked. <laughs> so this, is, this is a perfect one for you. Okay. And for All right. Good. Everybody good. else. So a pan dowdy is you make it in a pie dish, but there's no bottom crust. So it's almost as though you were making a crisp. And instead of putting a streusel topping on or, you know, crumb topping, you take pieces of pie dough. And I, I, this was probably created to use scraps. And you just put them on all higgledy-piggledy. You do them in triangles, right? I did them in triangles, but you could just do them in just like pieces mm-hmm. and you just like circles cut i could do circles you could do a circle right. you could do, you could take a cookie cutter away i know that not that people who are listening to the podcast won't see it but those of you who are here it's a little shiny that's a beautiful panda yeah um, it's not it doesn't need to be beautiful and for this if you wanted to take store-bought puff pastry let's say Roll it out, cut it into pieces, put some sugar on top. It's a great dessert. All right. So here's my next question. Um, this person is interested in knowing if you have any rules of thumb for prepping ahead or freezing 
baked goods, like what can be frozen, what can't, and how far in advance can various items be made? So um, in, in, in Baking with Dory, I have um, instructions for storing. So I tell you, you know, if you can make something ahead, if it can be frozen. So many, many things can be frozen and some things are even better when they're frozen. Um, you can make pie dough ahead of time and keep it in the freezer. I have, um, I have a whole <laughs> um, cocoa cranberry Linzer tort in the freezer. It can go in, it's unbaked and I'm just gonna bake it from the freezer. Um, Biscuits, the, the little cutout, you know, the dough for biscuits can be frozen and baked straight from the freezer. Um, cookie dough. There's the Your freezer. little cheese balls you keep in the freezer, I was just right? going to say the gougere. The yeah. gougere. So I double the recipe. I make about 100 gougere. I scoop them out with an ice cream scoop. I don't pipe them. And when they're frozen, I put them in the freezer and they all kind of stick together because I, I scoop them very close to make room for all of them. Um, just, um, you know, separate them, put them in a bag. And then when company is coming or when you would like something lovely with a glass of wine, you just bake them straight from the freezer. So I do give instructions and baking is really, if you do it right, if you pack your, you know, really wrap everything up well, um, things can stay for about two months. Uh, okay, here's another question. So many people are avoiding gluten these days does that make baking more challenging or does it challenge you push you to try new ingredients so um gluten trying to you know baking gluten free um is it is a challenge and there are people who do it you know for whom that's a specialty mm. and they great in fact um can you uh, what is her new book called can you and Vinny or Keneally Vinny help because I'm sure you have it. Her new gluten-free baking book is wonderful. I use when I'm baking um, and want to take a regular traditional recipe and make it gluten-free. I use um, cup for cup flour. So King Arthur makes a flour mm -hmm. where it's an exact substitute. You use the gluten-free flour and in the same amount that you would use regular flour. I haven't tested all the recipes with that, but I hear from people all the time. People write to me, I love when somebody writes to me and says, you know, I made your, let's say the everything cake, but I used gluten-free flour and it was great. So I've never, you know, I, I haven't had a fail with it, um, but I'm not, this is not something I'm an expert at. Just for you gluten-free bakers, the recipe on the cover and for all of you who love chocolate, the Lisbon chocolate cake, which mm. is a layer of dense chocolate cake, a whipped ganache, and a lot of dark cocoa powder on top. That's a gluten-free cake. Yeah. Um, so the uh, the other... Somebody, thank you. Somebody put up, yes, and you have the book at the bookstore. Oh, great. Great. Yeah, it's a good recommendation for gluten-free baking. Great. Thank you. Um Dory, one of the stories I love in the book is about you reinventing the world peace cookies. So share with us that story. 
daring. So the World Peace Cookie, for anyone who hasn't made it, I Googled the other day and there were 316 million references to the World Peace Cookie. Um, It's a a dark chocolate, it's actually cocoa-based cookie that's a cross between a shortbread and an American chocolate chip cookie. It has chunks of chocolate and it has fleur de sel, French sea salt, that's really present. You taste it. And the recipe was created by Pierre Hermé, and he gave it to me more than 20 years ago. And it was in my book, Paris Sweets, and then uh, as Corova cookies. And then a friend said, I call it the world peace cookie, because if everyone had it, peace would reign. And so it appeared again in baking from my home to yours, because the name was too great. I've never changed it. It's just a perfect cookie. It's fabulous. It's a slice and bake cookie. So talking about freezing, you make the logs, pop them in the freezer, and then you can have cookies whenever you want. And um, But Charlotte Druckmann wrote a book called Women on Food, and she asked me if I would make a world peace cookie for the book. And I said I wouldn't because it was perfect. And then I, I just... The idea just kept playing around, like thinking, what would a world peace cookie for women be like? And I added rye flour for groundedness, for earthiness. I added chili pepper for that kind of pop and spice. And you don't get the chili all the time. So it's kind of unpredictable. And I love that. Um, I added cocoa nibs for strength and freeze-dried raspberries for kind of verb, for sass, for that bright, brightness, vivacity. And it turned out to be a good cookie. So that's World Peace Cookie 2.0. I think that was the thing I decided I'm going to try to make first on my own. And then I'm going to come to your house and we're going to do brioche. I would love to do brioche with you. I'm serious. Okay. No, I'm I'm very serious. We'll be right back with Dory Greenspan, the author of Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. So here, I, I'd like to I'd like to close uh, with this. And first, I'm going to read something uh, that one of our uh, listeners sent in and then ask you a question. So uh, this, I think it's a woman, uh, but uh, it it might not be. Um, She wrote, I'm so looking forward to uh, tonight's event with Dory. I don't have a question, but I want to let you and Dory know how much Dory's cookbooks meant to me and my family over the last couple of years. I have a 12-year-old daughter who likes to bake, so at the beginning of quarantine, I got some of Dory's cookbooks for her. My daughter and I worked our way through many of the recipes. It was the highlight of our time in lockdown. My daughter is super social, and it was hard for her to learn at home alone for half of fifth grade and all of sixth grade. The thing she looked forward to the most was baking. She would get so excited to decide which of Dory's recipes we would try next and take such pleasure in following the recipe and seeing her finished product. Our whole family enjoyed all the cookies, pies, and cakes she baked over the past two years. Of course, I had to take up working out. 
but it was well worth it. Uh, we pre-ordered Baking with Dory and looking look forward to working our way through it too. And not only is that lovely. It's so lovely. But it also reminded me that a fun way to bake or even to learn to bake is to do it with your child. But the other thing that it really made me think about is, you know, teenagers don't necessarily love talking to their parents. You know, somehow they go through, they wander in the desert for a while and they think, you know, we're dumber than a doornail or boring or, or, or whatever. But doing an activity like baking or cooking with them, you know, like Jacques got our son, Edward, very interested in cooking because Jacques did it with Edward. And, 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 you know, this is years and years later and Edward's love of cooking came from that. What Do you have advice for people who want to think about doing that or should they start with cooking versus baking? No, I think the, I think you start with baking. But first, this was such a touching. Thank you. Isn't that thank great? You for, yeah, thank you, for whoever wrote it. And thank you, Roxanne, for reading it. It's, um, it's really Pretty touching. great, yeah. So I, th- I actually think that baking is, if you're looking to, to start family, um, you know, family time uh, or time with a with a child. Baking is so hands on. There's so many opportunities to touch the ingredients. Um, And there's and it's such a it's such a treat. It's not your I mean, it's wonderful to make dinner, but you have to make dinner. Baking is kind of an extracurricular activity. It's something that's 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 fun that you can do together and that you have something that's really a treat at the end. And I'm thinking years ago, I was at a book signing in California and there was a little boy sitting on the floor and he had a copy of Baking from My Home to Yours. He was three, I think. And he was looking through the book as I was talking and when I was signing books, he and his mother came up and his book was a mess. It was all misshapen and the pages were bulging. And his mother put him, sat him down on the table where I was signing and he opened the book and he pointed to something. He said, I made this. And he, his name was Austin and Austin and his mom had been baking. They started when he was two. And she had a Polaroid camera and she took a picture of him baking each recipe and she put it in the book. She marked the date that they did it. Wow. And she said, this was her baby journal for him. Huh. This was how, and I just. That's a great story. I just love that. And so my, my granddaughter is 16 months old. So I think I've got eight months before I buy a Polaroid camera. How great baking with her. I love that. So I want to close with this question, uh, Dory. So you've done, this is your 14th book. Is that right? And when you start a book, knowing how thoughtful you are about everything, you must have an idea in your head of what you hope it does when it's out in the world. Um, So with this book, you, you know, you use for the first time words like sweet, salty, and simple. So 
when you, you know, birthed this book and and imagined it out in the world, what what did you hope it would do? I I have the same hope for every book. I you know, I I I teasingly say that, you know, I'm an evangelist for home baking. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody called me a cheerleader today and I thought, yeah, that's what I am. I always hope that it will encourage people to get into the kitchen and to bake, to cook, to make things that they love and to share them with people that they love. Roxanne, when you started, when we started talking and you said this book might be the book that makes you bake something, Mm -hmm. that nothing could have made me Really, that's that's all I want. I want people to get into the kitchen and bake. And, you know, the best would be someone like you discovering that there's joy in baking. Well, my father, if I start baking, my father, God bless him, will be (laughs) laughing up there somewhere in the ether uh, that his daughter that he thought was hopeless as a baker would be baking that way. Even the idea of that, Dory, as you said that, even the idea that that would make my father either, you know, metaphorically or literally smile that I was baking would be enough to motivate me to bake. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here to bake with you anytime you want. You know where to find me. I do. I do. Dory, thank you so much. I mean, I just... I mean, I love all your books, um, but I've never read one with the idea that I might make something from it. I love it. I love this. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, Dory. Happy, happy holidays. And to you and to everyone who's here. Thank you. Okay. Be well. You too. We've been talking with Dory Greenspan, the author of Baking with Dory. You've been listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. Produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, Johnny Diamond, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Justin Alvarez. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Roxanne Cody, and thank you so much for listening.